Hey guys, it's your boy Anker. We're back with another episode of the Disruption Podcast. Let me reintroduce my co-host. Ludwig Arroyo. What's up, everyone? And we have a very special guest today, someone who has truly carved a lane and created their own path in business. A thousand percent. I mean, when you talk about uh, being a disruptor, creating a category that didn't exist before, Alexa, Shoe Fairy, how are Hello, you? Hello. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for coming. I appreciate you uh, coming and making the trip from Tom's River. Yeah, from Tom's River. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I can't say I've ever worn any of your products, <laughs> but I feel like people at home should be told what, what it is that Shoe Fairy is and what you do. So the Shoe Fairy, in plain terms, specializes in clear and nude heels, but more so what I do is I'm striving to make heels that make sense for women. That's my mission because I am an avid heel wearer, and what I can't stand is the fact that when I wear heels and I'm out, say it's a wedding, and you've all seen the people that have to take, the women that have to take their shoes off and then they're dancing barefoot on the dance yeah. floor. Yep. Or going out and then I can't wait until I sit down at the table and I don't want to stand up. I can't stand that. So the shoes that I design all make sense for women. There are certain aspects to them that I'm making better, I'm improving. And this started in the bodybuilding industry in 2015 when yep. I was 23 years old. And since then, it has just morphed into something so much bigger. It's not just a bodybuilding heel anymore. It's so much more than that. So I think the interesting part is how you got started in the bodybuilding. So I was just talking to Anker earlier about how you got started, why, what was the, what, what was it that you identified in the industry that you said, hey, this is, this is a problem um, with these girls going on stage wearing these specific heels that women wear when they, when they compete. What was the issue? Let's identify? also just add a little background because not everyone knows what, what bodybuilding competitions look like or, yeah. or anything. And let's be honest, I think Ludwig's seen more bodybuilding competitions than all of us combined. A little bit. Having to do the photo shoots and everything over there. But I've only probably been like a dozen or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you could give everyone a little background on that too. To, I mean, like, why do they wear heels? So luckily now in 2024, a lot of people are more familiar with bodybuilding competitions, but specifically for women, the ones that wear bikinis on stage have to wear clear heels. So it's not like it's a, oh, I want to buy these heels. You need them. It's a specific clear heel and you absolutely need them to step on stage. What's the reason? Do you know why it has to be clear? I never knew that. No. So you know what? This is something that ever since the industry started has always been that, but that's the interesting thing about my company is I'm truly the first person to come in and disrupt the bodybuilding shoe because I started the company when I was doing bodybuilding competitions. At the time, I just knew I wanted to start a company within the industry, but it was like, what? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking for like weeks and months and then on social media, I noticed something, which I'm sure you can probably attest to, when competitors post their stage shots, they tag every company they got their stuff from. This is a very Instagrammable community of people. And that's when it clicked and I realized nobody was known for the heels. So I had to go to Amazon to buy mine and it was either stripper websites or Amazon. So I started the company and then further along, I realized there's actually only two manufacturers of these heels and both of them suck. Mm. So I realized my goal was to take over the entire bodybuilding industry, be the shoe of bodybuilding. And I said, how can I do that if I'm selling another brand? Because that's how I started. Very easy. I bought wholesale. I was a retailer. And that's what led me down the path of starting to design and manufacture my own heel, then my own line. And then now it's all just my shoes. Was it a comfort thing? Was it that they didn't stretch? Like, what was the issue with the actual shoes that you were buying or that competitors bought prior to Shoe Fair? So, aside from them just being cheaply made overall, it is a clear shoe, so it has a plastic upper. The plastic on the other brands is really hard. So, a lot of people, their toes bleed, it cuts their feet, and then it hurts when you have to put them back on because now you have a scab. Mm. Makes no sense. The toe beds are either, like, square, where it just looks not flattering on your foot or too narrow and pointy so a common thing that was happening and this happened to me on stage two is your your toes are like claws hanging off of the shoe and then that's in your stage shots too and it's not comfortable there was zero cushion in the insoles suede insoles so that the tan the spray tans you have to wear completely Mm -hmm. demolish it and then your shoes are disgusting looking and overall just the shoe looks ugly Point being, so when I designed my shoes, if you look side by side of someone doing the same pose wearing one of the cheaper brands versus mine, it's like, wow, big difference. And what was the price point of these shoes? So now in 2024, as you know, 
pricing has changed. Um, retail for the cheaper brands are around, for, let's just do a plain pair, like the cheapest kind. Um, I would say now it's like, I think like 45 probably to 55 mm-hmm. with like inflation. I'm not sure how much it's changed. And then my plain pair is 95. Okay. So we are like the luxury shoe of bodybuilding. That's awesome. So how do you even design a heel? Like where do you go? Cause I'm sure you're, you're like maybe sketching something with your hands or you have a list of things that you want to have made. Are you going on Alibaba and like talking to people? Like, like how does that even go down? Oh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's come a long way because I had no idea when I started, zero. What did I do first? I really, I went to Google. I went to Alibaba. I did order samples of clear heels from Alibaba. They were all trash. I ended up finding a, um, it was an agent, not directly to the manufacturer. It's actually the agent for Just Fab and a bunch of other shoe lines, and they had an office in Miami. So I said, oh, perfect. I can just fly to Miami and meet with them. And then they would deal with China and overseas. So that's how I got started was I flew there and he was able to really hold my hand through the design process, through the materials and everything. Um, But long story short, that whole first production came in and they were all trash. Mm -hmm. It was like a year and a half setback for me. Like it was, I learned a lot. It's a long story. I learned a lot through that. But to get started, if for anyone who's listening to this, if you don't know where to start with designing a product, just start Googling and going down that rabbit hole and you're going to start just learning and learning and learning and, and, and trying samples and then realizing, no, that's bad. And it's kind of just like a guess and test game and you learn along the way. Was there ever a moment where you were like, this was the wrong decision. I need to like abort mission. I'm not going to be able to pull this off. No, because I mean, like I said, like it was a year and a half. My first production, I started with only one shoe. The thousand pairs came in and they were all just shit literally I couldn't get my foot in it. And the worst thing was we took pre-orders on them. So we had like 400 and something pre-orders. The shipment came in. We're all so excited. My office manager prints all of the labels. So now everyone has their shipping information. I'm so excited. I take it out and I realize the toe opening looks very small and I can't even get my foot in it. I'm like, what? So I start ripping through like all the size eight boxes. My foot will not even go in the shoe. The plastic shrank. They didn't do something. The plastic shrank. And then aside from that, I realized like overall, it the shoe was just trash. So I had to go back to the drawing board. I went back to Google, found another manufacturing, like an agency, a website. And at the time, it was ironic, the owner was in New York City. They're based in China. She happened to be in New York City. She got on a bus the next day, came to my office. We started together, and then I flew out to China. And when I went to China, it was amazing because I was able to go to the markets, do all the fitting, the samples, test out all the materials right there in-house, go to all the factories. It was really the best. And then COVID hit. I wasn't able to go back for you know those so couple wait, of years. This is before you sold the shoe. Right. So yes. this is all research and development. How long was that time period from the day you got the idea to the day you sold your first shoe? Mm, I would have to really think about it, but um, three years. Wow. Oh, three years. Yeah. It's crazy. So what gave you the idea that you would sell? Like for me, that's crazy thinking I, I could care less about designing shoes. Right. But if I was to Hold sell up. a shoe. I call BS. I don't I've never seen shoes. you repeat a single pair of shoes in your life. You definitely care about shoes. Touche. I do care about shoes. I don't care about designing them. So, See, but Alexa, if, if there's an opportunity to call them out, call them out. <laughs> <laughs> but if there's an but if I was to design a shoe, I would have to know that I, I would I would think I would have to know that people are going to buy this shoe, right? Like how many? What was your idea of of like how many people are actually going to buy these once I get this? thing to to sell well i had already started the company and i was buying shoes wholesale and retailing them so through that experience those first two years in business when i was a retailer for the shoes i was able to see i i I did my research you know i i was able to see what was selling i already had a customer base the business was growing every month we were already Mm -hmm. going in the right path so at that point, I'm just making a better product now yeah. and introducing it to a market that has not seen any change in it whatsoever. People have just been wearing these crappy shoes this whole time. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the first customer review that came in. Ever? Ever. How did that feel? <laughs> I mean, that had to have been like a special moment for you. I, I do remember because my mom brings this up often. I was living with my parents when I started it. 
And it took a couple days to get my first order. And I remember always, I had a full-time job at the time. So I'd come home, log on to my WordPress site, zero orders. I'm like, okay, a couple days ago, I had nothing. So it took probably like a week. And then when the first order came in, I remember it was like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> it worked. <laughs> That's a great feeling. Yeah. So you specialized at that time in the fitness industry, right? So mm-hmm. you were just targeting competitors. Yeah, and still that is the bread and butter. But yeah, started completely niche in that industry. What was your sense of the size of that audience? Like, did you ever think, hey, I can I could be a millionaire just selling to competitors? Or did you always know that you had to expand? I, I honestly, I wasn't sure. Like this entire time, as far as like the space and like how much I can make from it I never really knew but when I decided to start expanding outside of just bodybuilding was not backed by like financial desire it was more so like wait I'm making shoes that are so good that I'm doing the brand a disservice by just being boxed into the bodybuilding industry Mm -hmm. this can go so much further like I'm actually doing a disservice even to women yeah yeah that's great I'm sorry pay less (laughs) <laughs> it's just not going to work for us. Okay, so you figured out that there was this missing link for shoes in, in a certain category, and you went after it. And after three years, I mean, without any question, you disrupted a, a very specific industry. Mm-hmm. Kudos to you. I mean, that's awesome. Thank so you. that was 2020 at this point where you started selling the new shoes? I think so. Well, we're in 2024 now. I mean, tell us about that journey in these last four years. Normally, entrepreneurs will start other companies. Entrepreneurs will expand to different countries. I mean, we want to hear about everything. Hmm. Where do I begin? Because a lot has happened within those past couple of years. So what I did was I was selling my wholesale shoes for, I had like 24 styles of them and I slowly introduced my, it's called the Olympian line. Cause when I designed the line, who is the top of the top in that industry? The, the Olympians. Olympians, everyone wants that. I made the Olympian line. The bottoms of the shoes are gray just cause it's more, it goes more cohesive with a clear shoe. So then I did gray bottoms. Hashtag gray bottoms. Hashtag gray bottoms. I made that a thing. So now everyone wants to have gray bottoms. Mm-hmm. And starting with just one shoe, Then I made my second heel because it's a big investment and it takes a lot of time because you have to open molds. That's what takes the longest time. And that's why it took me so long to create that first style was opening the mold. So I started with one mold, one shoe, kept utilizing that mold to create more styles, then worked on my second mold, which is the Olympian 2.0 mold. Um, That took... It was during COVID when factories were, everyone was sick, materials were crazy. It took two years to create this one freaking mold. But I, I also, like, I was very particular with how I wanted it to be because I was truly trying to create the most comfortable heel, four and a half inch heel, and it literally is. And now it's our number one selling shoe on the website. But then what I did was I took that super comfortable mold that everyone was obsessed with and made it in. Uh, nude versions and started a new brand within the shoe fairy called Naked. So Naked is the heels that feel and look like you're wearing nothing. So this was my first attempt to really start not expanding and not being just a bodybuilding company. So this is actually the second version of Naked. Heels look and feel like you're wearing nothing. This one has no platform, but you can see like if you, you guys definitely need to like touch this. Even just feel the plastic. You can dance. I just did on Friday. Dance in them all night. So within the past couple years, I really branched out of creating a lot of new styles, a new mold, a new brand. Um, I stopped selling wholesale, the shoes I was selling wholesale. But that was actually while I was pregnant in my third trimester. The owner of that company, the wholesale company, reached out to me to schedule a meeting. And she cut me off completely. I had a big restock order on hold they canceled it she told me that they were cutting me off and long story short it was because she was not happy that my line was doing so good so they wanted to kind of like hurt my business and they stopped selling to me completely so now at this time i'm about to have a baby i'm not planning on launching a bunch of new styles it was february i had the baby in may and i said okay so what are we gonna do so i went to the drawing board and just banged out 
four new clear heel styles that we were going to launch. We pretty quickly were able to do it. And then I had the baby and then had to launch four new styles of heels. <laughs> but yeah, so now it is very exciting that the brand is just completely shoes that I make, I design. And since then, we've been doing better than ever. And our like our bottom line has increased exponentially, which is wild to me. I mean, it makes sense now. But I'm like, I think that everything truly happens for a reason. And that was the push I needed to go completely on my own. So you're selling right now exclusively direct to consumer? Yeah. So we are D2C and Amazon. Amazon. So can we go back a little bit? Because one of your biggest influencers that helped you like grow this brand was Ashley Kaltwasser. 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 Uh, how did that whole relationship start? Like, talk us through the the origins of that relationship because she's an Olympian and she's a big time name at the time. At the Instagram was huge, and when it comes to the fitness side, how did that develop? Yeah, so Ashley actually holds the record in the entire IFBB world of having the most pro wins. She is in for for women too. She's also like the she has she's like the goat. Yeah, pretty much. So I was very strategic about this because I was actually really shy and kind of nervous. And someone like that, I'm sure, has a lot of brands and people approaching them all the time. So what I did was the bikini company that she worked with was doing this fashion show and I knew she was going to be there. So I was a part of it. I went to it and I went and approached her and her coach at the gym did not talk about the company, the shoes at all. Simply introduced myself and just wanted to talk not throw myself at her, nothing. And she was a little standoffish and you know, that was it. I didn't want to, I wanted to feel her out, not push it. That was it. Then the day of the fashion show, I talked to her coach more and this is actually my favorite part of the story. Afterwards, when we went home and I talked to him about um, doing a like sponsorship with her, he had told me that, I feel weird saying this on camera, but pretty much like, hey, you'll never be able to afford it. To get her to just do a single post about your company, like he almost, he didn't even entertain it to me. And I was like, huh, okay. So I actually have a friend that owns one of the biggest uh, studios in Los Angeles called Hubble Studio, where they shoot all high-end like uh, photo shoots. So I hit him up. He organized the shoot for me. I actually lived in Los Angeles at the time. I flew out there. I had her come to Hubble. We had this whole elaborate, like epic photo shoot. Yeah. She loved it. We became friends from that day. And that was those pictures were her favorite pictures at the time. That was all she was posting and tagging me. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? So since then, I would fly out to Vegas where she lived. I did shoots in the desert with her. We sponsored her. We did contracts and payments and everything. But it started off, I, I had it just very organic. That's awesome. That's a lesson right there. So how do we get Ludwig sponsored by the shoe companies? <laughs> so I guess, okay, uh, the real question is, how many uh, athletes did you end up sponsoring? Is it just like one athlete that was like your lead athlete? No, and it's cycled because in this industry, people compete and then they stop competing. Yeah. You know, so it's very like hot and cold. Um, over time, I've probably sponsored, um, I don't know, probably over 100. Whoa. But okay. we also do a lot of like collaborations and stuff. So our affiliate program is actually one of the most like driving forces of the company. Like we just look for 2023, just like affiliates. That's not even necessarily sponsored athletes, just affiliates. You can join in our site, brought in over 600K in revenue. Wow. Just from having people promote codes. That's amazing. Yeah. And what's this kind of code? 10%, 20%? They can earn commission. You can earn 10% store credit, like shoe fairy commission or 5% PayPal. So it's great because also within the fitness industry, again, it's very Instagrammable and people always want to promote. They always want to be a part of something bigger. So it's like they're a part of the pink box squad is what we call it, a part of the shoe fairy. They have their code. We create the graphics for them and they can earn money. And it's also a very word of mouth type of industry too. Would you say that you're now the premier bodybuilding shoe? Yeah. Outside of those other two competitors? No mm -hmm. hesitation. She was like, yep, yeah. that's me. Well, I, I I have learned it over time going to the Olympia and different shows or whatever. And, you know, I always say, oh, yeah, I have a, I have a company that you Everyone's like, I know. Oh, my God. And I'm like, you better know. <laughs> <laughs> so how big is the team now? How many employees? Um, I actually only have on payroll three employees. And then contracted is marketing my operations manager. They're both contractors. And then I work with agencies. So on payroll is three 
contract too, and then agencies. I respect that you run lean. That's mm-hmm. awesome. It's, I mean, it's actually incredible. pretty great too because I would rather grow the people on my team. That's yeah. always been my focus is growing like my existing team and giving them more opportunity and more money in their pockets and taking them on this drive instead of hiring a bunch of people for a bunch of different things. How has it been now? So you just had a baby, right? Congratulations, yes, eight you. months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the midst of that, you launched four new uh, four new shoes. And how's it been transitioning from being, you know, single to married to not having a kid, and all the while growing this this brand? Really challenging because you go through a phase of the business is gets your twenty four hours, and that's your baby, and you're so obsessed with it. To suddenly you have a real baby that actually really needs you all the time. And I have been on a journey these past eight months of trying to figure out how to operate my life now. Because the truth is after you have a baby, I can't operate as I used to. I don't have the same 24 hours in a day as I did when I was, you know, just not a mother. It's very different. So I'm trying to figure out how can I be most at peace? Because when I focus too much on work, with him, I get stressed. When I don't have help and I'm just in mom mode, I get stressed because then now I'm not feeling like myself. I need, you know, I'm, I'm getting that pull. I need to be working. Yeah. So it's like, it's been a journey to try and figure out like, how can I be at peace with both worlds? It's two very different sides of me. It's very interesting having this conversation. We don't have, you know, you're, I think you're the second female that we've had on the pod and we never get this perspective, you know, mm-hmm. from usually men just, just go out and work right Mm -hmm. even if they are uh gonna be home with the kids it's not the same type of pressures that women have Mm -hmm. i don't know if you're breastfeeding or not or things like that really weigh on yes the the female psyche so it's interesting hearing this how are you how are you navigating that now or have you learned anything um that's helping you be more at peace yeah i need help i think that as women we feel like we we put pressure on ourselves. And I'm speaking for only myself, of course, but a lot of my friends I've talked to have said the same thing. We put expectations and pressure on ourselves, and we feel like we should be able to do it all. Mm-hmm. We should be able to work. We should be able to take care of the home, our husband, our baby. We should be able to do all these things. And yes, I could, but what it was doing was it was like killing me. I was becoming so unhappy because it was too much pressure and I didn't want to live that way. So what I realized was, no, you know what? I need help and I'm done feeling guilty about it. And that's when we decided we needed a nanny because I wanted someone to come in, take care of him, and then I have dedicated time to work, schedule meetings, schedule anything for myself. I needed to have that time for myself. And prior, I was just trying to do it all. Like when he would go down for a nap, I was like a psycho. Like, And then even at night, put him down to bed and then open up the computer. Like that sucked. It did. You you do what you have to do, but when you realize that it's not how you want to live and you're not happy, you need to figure out what changes to make to get there. So, I mean, it's, it's 2024. You've clearly figured out a lot of what happens with being a disruptor and owning your own business, and you're working through some of the other things with Finding Peace. But I feel like everyone on this show always has, like, passion projects and different things that they're working on. I mean... Spill some tea. Tell us tell us what's on your mind and what you're thinking about and where the company's going to go in 24. Curious on your guys' take on this. So I was always the type of person that was like, no, you need to go all in on one thing. You need to focus on one thing. What do you guys think about that? I, I agree. Uh, first of all, two answers. One, I think initially you have to be all in on one thing. Yes. If you want to be great I agree. I at anything. I agree. You got to put all your eggs in that basket. But... I'm also now in the mindset of the multi-hyphenate, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, Kanye is great, a great example of that, right? He's, like, a great artist, great musician. First, he was a producer. Then he's a great rapper. Those are two distinctly different things. And then he you know, disrupted the fashion world. And he's probably one of the greatest in fashion. So he, he didn't pigeonhole. He didn't just do music or production. So, yeah, I believe you can go out and do multiple things. It's just... How much of you are you going to divide and how much energy are you going to put into that? Um, what do you think? You're asking me what I think about different projects? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know, know if we have enough time on the, on the <laughs> pod. It, it's tough, right? I think 
I get thrown so many opportunities on a regular basis from people asking to like JV with me or to have me invest in a project or, or whatever it's going to be. I think the, the place where I'm at in my career, people fall into like three buckets. Either they need advisors because what they don't know, they don't know. Mm-hmm. They need an agency to actually do the work for them because they don't know how to do the work. Mm-hmm. Or they need like an accelerator, an investor that believes in them to help mm-hmm. them get to that next level. So I'd say I, I just I got so past that point of just focusing on one thing because, I mean, you know, they say that once you make your first million, the, the next million is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And once you know how to get to 25 million, 50 million, 100 million, the $1 million project isn't really that scary or like mm-hmm. it doesn't really stress you out by any means. So for me, it's like it's not really even about making money. It's about finding projects that I can be passionate about and then figuring out how to schedule myself. Those are two really great answers. Yeah. Because I have always been like, in order to make something great, you need to go all in on mm-hmm. it. My focus needs to be 100% on that, and I, I need to own and work on my craft. And I did that. I did that for eight years. But I always knew I was missing something, and I originally went to college to be a psychologist, like my passion has always been to help people. Yeah. And I just didn't know in what regard. And while I'm very passionate about the shoe fairy and my company and what I do, it's not, I'm a very deep person and I connect with people on a very deep level. And the shoe fairy is almost more superficial and about beauty and models. And it's, you know, while I am helping people in their feet and making a better product, it's not fulfilling me in the need, the depth that I need. Mm. So I started a new passion project called My Power, and this originated from a couple years ago when I went through some really terrible times and I was in my rock bottom. I bought myself this beaded bracelet and it said, be free. And it meant to me, be free of everything, hold me back. And I wore that bracelet every day. I like clung to it. It was like my little gift to myself that really got me through really hard times. And I just knew that I wanted to create something that could do that for people So fast forward, I had the idea to create my power and it's bracelets that bring strength is the slogan. And the idea behind it is that the power is always in our perspective and only we hold that power. So the bracelet it's here's this Lotus bracelet is one of them. And it's something that's just very pretty, but you can look at it and remember what the meaning behind it is. So the goal is to always grow through what you go through. And this is your reminder of that. So that's why I made the first collection, the Lotus Collection, because the Lotus Flower symbolizes rebirth, healing, strength, resiliency. And this is kind of like my outlet to give people something that will help them. So when I know that someone is going through something or they're in a really dark place, it's like I have something, like the packaging has a card that explains the meaning in depth, and I have something to give people like, hey, like when you're really going through it and you need that reminder of how strong you are, like just look at your bracelet, like just look at your wrist. And through this outlet, I want to be able to really touch people and help people. So, whole new brand? Yeah, yeah. MyPower.com? MyPowerBracelets.com. Look at that. I did that while I was pregnant. (laughs) I'm sure you learned a lot from the shoe fairy and creating when it comes to distribution, manufacturing, all that stuff. How quickly were you able to get that up and running? During my pregnancy. The product came right before the baby came. So I just launched it in December because after I had the baby, I couldn't do all of that. But to that point, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I built the website, all of it. I knew exactly what needed to to be done. It was very seamless. And so also to your point, after you make your first million, it becomes a lot easier. You, You gain so much knowledge that it's easier for you to know what you need to do. So, I mean, let's talk through the stuff that you would consider obstacles outside of scheduling in in like the 2024, 2025 period of your life, right? The era that you're in now. I mean, you've clearly established yourself as a successful business owner. Are there things or hurdles that you feel like, I don't know how to get past this next piece and I want to disrupt and I want to get back in front of 10 million customers because obviously you're now going far beyond just bodybuilding and just like saving the the world of heels and womanhood entirely, right? Uh, I mean, is there, is there like a specific obstacle that's in front of you? I think that's a really good and fitting question for this point in my life because I feel like there is so much untapped potential. One, just within the building industry, there's tons of women that are still not wearing our heels. So, so what? Yeah. No way. Yeah, so what are they wearing? The 
black bottoms. Has anyone, wait, wait, actually, I gotta ask this. Has anyone copied you and tried to enter the market? <laughs> Someone did a while ago and it, and it failed. I remember wow. following her like journey through it, but. It reminds me of NLA Her when they just copied my shreds label 100%, every single thing <coughs> into the ingredients. Anyway, uh, I, remember, I remember that brand. Yeah. Um, but it is like for anyone to come in and do it, like the nature of the clear heels and the molds and stuff is such a beast. I think it's the reason why there's like only two manufacturers that do it. Um, but back to your question, I get overwhelmed currently, like every day lately, I get overwhelmed by how much we could do. And you know how it is when you own a business and you talk to people about it. Oh, you should do this. You should do that. Like everyone has a, a bunch of ideas and I have a lot of ideas too, but my hurdle is knowing what it takes to make those play out. I can tap into the whole pageant industry, the bridal industry. We just did a bridal photo shoot with a dress designer. Oh my God, stunning. You know, there's so, and they're like, you should be doing blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I know. I can't do it all. Exactly. <laughs> and that's my hurdle is like, I get overwhelmed by how much potential there is, but I know what it takes to make everything happen. And to really, like when I do something, I need to really do it. And that's where what overwhelms me is now as a mother, I don't have that much time anymore. So it's like, okay, how can I still do all of these things with such little time? <laughs> so have you explored the idea of uh, getting a number two to run Shoe Fairy while you go off and conquer the world? I have not. And I think that's a really hard concept to even think about. You know, when you're so immersed in your brand that even like I just finally have an assistant and just even that is hard for me to like figure out how to get in a flow with that and, and delegating those things. So to think of like having someone else come in and run it, it's like, well, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we should just clone her. Yeah. Right? Have like three Alexas running three different brands and companies. That'd be great. Right? I mean, I, I would dare to ask which one of the companies would the real Alexa run and which yeah. one would the clones run? I, I think I am. I think the Lotus, right? Yes. You, you I, I honestly, I just did something yesterday for I joined this like league of female founders and one of them has um, a direct contact of a Shark Tank producer. She's like, just email me, blah, 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 and I can send it over to the producer. So I did it yesterday, and I'm like, please, just buy my business. Like, <laughs> and people are like, wait, what? You want to sell it? And I'm like, I honestly want to focus on my power. I have no time to put into this poor thing. Man, those poor clones. They're going to have to push shoes all day long. So what would be the next iteration of Shoe Fairy if you were to keep well, – I'm, I'm sure you're keeping a brand, but – what is next? Is it going into bridal? Is it going into... But the girl just told you she's overwhelmed with figuring out what else to do. And you're like, tell me what, what else you're, you're going to do. We want more. We want more shoe fairy. Yeah. It, you know, right now I'm focusing on internally and really trying to build a stronger team and delegate further yeah. so that I can continue to keep moving forward. But I need to make sure all our ducks are in a row first and everything is running efficiently and making sense and smooth before we keep trying to go, go, go. But I would love to really focus on and tap into the bridal industry and also the pageant industry. So I know you have a relationship with Brittany. I mean, I remember, so I met her because we, I did a photo shoot for Alexa for Shoe Fairy back in 2015. And at the time, you brought a model with you to, for the shoes, and that was Brittany, who was in the pageant world Yes. Uh, at the time. I don't know if she still is. I don't think so. Uh, so have you explored that with, like through her contacts or anything like that with getting into the the pageant world? Not through her, but through two other people have connected me. Someone actually wanted to do something. It was for Miss Earth, something with the nude heels. It was right before the baby was coming, and I ended up backing out because I was mm -hmm. like, ultimately, I'm going to be the one having to orchestrate all of this, and I'm actually about to... And then I... No, I had the baby. <laughs> so then, like, I remember I emailed her specifically, like, hey, sorry for the delay. I had a baby three weeks ago. <laughs> So the timing of everything, it's, you know, you as a woman, you can only take on so much when you're going through this part of life. Yeah. So talk to me about, so one of the things I noticed, I follow you on Instagram, you're very vocal, you're very much on camera, you're great on camera. What's going on with your personal brand? Is that something you want to explore? I do. And this is such a sore subject because it's something I've been wanting to explore for a year plus, but it's like, you know, then I got pregnant and I was really tired. 
<laughs> and then I had a baby and I was really crazy and in sweats every day and this and that. So it's been something that I'm like, another thing, yeah. you know, and, and now I got to show up on camera for it. Yeah. Like it's, it's been a stressor because I know I need to, like we were talking about off camera, people buy from people. They want to see who's behind the brand. They want to connect with you and they're more inclined to purchase. So I think it's extremely important. It's just something that I haven't been able to really add to my plate just yet. Well, let me ask you this question. I, I mean, selling you is probably going to be the easiest thing, right? You just have to authentically be you. Selling Shoe Fairy, you found this amazing gap in the market and you were able to take it over it. It took several years because of the whole process of starting and building. With the idea of the bracelets, I mean, you're, you're entering a space that probably has a thousand, I mean, 10,000 competitors in it. Have you thought through, like, what's going to be, like, the Alexa edge outside of, like, the meaning behind the bracelets that's going to help you kind of overcome the different things that are going to be in front of you? Yeah, so I think a lot of it's going to come down to building a community around it. And the reason why it's bracelets that bring strength is it's not like, hey, it's a lotus flower bracelet. It's a company that sells lotus flower bracelets. It's the whole purpose behind it and how I really need to convey that message that the power, because it's not just if someone's grieving. It's if you want to make a change or a jump in your life. We need to always be reminded that the power is always in our perspective. And I came up with this because just learning it myself, I realized how important my mind is. Mm -hmm. The way that I think, like that rules my life. My perspective rules everything. And only I hold that power. How I respond to everything that happens to me is within my power. Mm -hmm. And how often every day do we all forget that? And we get caught up in being in traffic and being pissed and, uh, you know, the baby screaming or something instead of the perspective of like, he's screaming because he needs me. Mm -hmm. I'm important. Like switching the perspective. And so this is your reminder because we often get caught up in life that we forget that. And it's really, that's what puts the Alexa edge on it. And it's me being able to market accordingly and really get that message out there. So I, I think you're a natural marketer, by the way, from what I've seen, the, the beginning of your journey till now, I, I, I remember seeing like some of the stuff you did with Ashley, you know, the branding and the hashtags and the, the pink, would you say the pink? Pink box squad. The pink box squad. Like all that stuff is, I feel like it comes intuitive to you. I don't, I don't, know, if yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know if it's you or your, your CMO, but how are you going to develop this? for the my power brand and, and this community how are you doing that it is very intuitive to me and that's a lot of times when people have asked me about those things i'm like it literally is intuitive and it just comes to me and it clicks and then that's when i pursue something when it clicks so developing it for my power is kind of tough right now because my bread and butter is the shoe fairy mm -hmm. so i have google docs of my entire like how i want to lay out the community and how we want to get people involved but the truth is it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to get people to want to buy something from you, to spend their money on your site, even to be a part of a community. Let's say you're like, hey, submit your story and blah, blah, blah. It's such a crowded space out there today. Yeah. On every landscape, it's so crowded. People's attention spans are like this. Mm -hmm. It's really freaking hard. And I'm saying that because I want people to realize people think that you can just sell a product and post it and people are going to buy their nuts. <laughs> Drop shipping. Uh, <laughs> Anyone can get Oberlow and, and oh, I hear and this Shopify stuff and I'm like, people act like it's so easy. It's really not. It takes a lot of work. So for me, as I really need to be able to just kind of catch up with Shoe Fairy, have that running a little bit more efficiently so that I have the bandwidth to truly put the strategy and execution in place for that. Gotcha. Now, so my power is on sale right now, right? You can go yeah. to mypowerbraces.com mm -hmm. are you selling are you moving units barely we did in the launch month in december because i put the video out i was really like everyone was into the video all that stuff so a lot and a lot of people i know too there's random ones but like in december yes january barely literally two of my friends well, listen for what it's worth i respect your hustle it's it's awesome <laughs> thank you to, to see what you do and what you've built in the community I have seen the hashtags and like I know what it goes, but what it takes to make a hashtag a community effort mm -hmm. and, and what gets behind it. I guess I, I want to open the floor to you. Do you have any questions for guys like Ludwig or me 
that would be like, oh my God, like I have access to these two guys who've disrupted like, time and time again. Let me just point blank ask them. Actually, I'm so glad we get to do this because I was like, I said before I left, you know, I really don't even want to talk about myself. I'd rather talk to them and ask questions. Um, okay. It's just interesting because the brands like Shreds and Flavor God and I was in the fitness industry. I saw all of that with the influencers. Now you guys trailblaze that with the influencers where now that's such a known thing. What would you say your best piece of advice would be to work with influencers now in 2024 and how it's changed versus when you were doing that in 2015? So I think the important thing is influencers in 2011 and 2012 were just affiliate marketers, right? People that were putting out content and driving people to some type of landing page to try and, and sell something. There's a big difference between branding and marketing. And I feel like a lot of people don't recognize what influencers bring to their company or their product. And I mean, it's just, you gotta get a business coach that's gonna tell you what questions to ask and what things to watch. For influencers I feel like there's a couple clients that have come to us recently asking us to find them a big fitness influencer that's gonna move the needle for them mm -hmm. in my experience a influencer in 2024 is strictly a branding tool you can't utilize influencers to, to move mass volume mm -hmm. the way that it used to work mm -hmm. but you can use influencers as a community building tool to be a face of something to show clout and yeah. uh, legitimacy and everything that's behind that so that you can then monetize the community that you're building. But not, not enough people know how to curate a community and not enough businesses know how to just engage with the community in a way that's like substantial. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing that annoys me the most is when people rely on tools that are like AI driven mm -hmm. that just have watered down content being pushed out to these communities that have no authenticity to them, no opportunity for engagement or earnest connection. And influencers could solve that problem if you give them the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. I 100% I agree with what he said. On top of that... Um, That's going to be so great for TikTok. I can't wait. <laughs> so on top of that, the micro-influencer too. I, I'm sure you've... I, similar to the affiliate marketers... That or affiliate sales reps that you sign up through your website. I think the micro influencer nowadays is big. You know, they're obviously a lot less cost upfront to get micro influencers to create content with your with your product and then repurpose that for for ads. Yeah. Because you know, a lot, a lot of people now are tired of the big influencer selling a product, right? Because now the big influencer who has a million plus followers is you know pushing your shoe today, pushing someone else's shoe tomorrow, and people yeah. people see through that same with yes. with supplements right they're hawking one supplement one day the next month they're all, you know they're pushing another supplement they get desensitized they get desensitized they know it's an ad they know yes. it's fake so every now, time you post a different brand shoe i feel the same way <laughs> <laughs> the shoe game i'm really jealous in case you didn't realize and you know we are talking about the shoe fairy so we, we got to talk about we shoes. do have to talk about that <laughs> but you're right i think people get desensitized they turn off and they realize that they're being pushed a product mm -hmm. the micro influencer um they look like you, me and you. They're just normal people and mm -hmm. they're they're wearing the shoe fairy shoe or, or the lotus bracelet. And I think it's more believable, it's more authentic. So I think that's a big push right now. Um and I think that's what we're you know, we're doing that for a lot of our the brands that come to us and want us to um promote for them. So I think that's huge. You gotta use influencers and micro influencers as community builders, mm -hmm. not as needle movers anymore. Wow, that was it. Yeah. That was a good line. So on that note, now, you know, based off of what you guys have heard about the shoe fairy, what would you recommend? Do you, what do you think would be a big needle mover for my company? That's a good question. I mean, someone called Travis Kelsey, right? <laughs> Valentine's Day is coming up. We got to get, you know, the Swifties. It's, it's That's actually a great. That would be a big needle mover. Right. <laughs> we we had a client. Um, does roses like preserved roses mm -hmm. and we were looking at what are we going to do and this is like october early on and stuff I mean, we gotta look at the rumor mill find out who's dating who who we can get in front of and i mean if your heels are, are game changing i would want to get the right people to buy these heels as gifts mm -hmm. and i think that would move the needle substantially it's funny you say that there was a period from like 2013 to 20 
18, 19, where the big influencer, we're talking like fitness influencers, like, like the Ashley's of the world, where they were moving product, right? And everyone was getting away from celebrities. Yes. I don't know if you remember that. Like Nobody cared about celebrities anymore when it came to Instagram. Yeah. People just cared about social media influencers. Yeah. Post-2019, they started they start to get away from the, the big influencer, and now they're going back to celebrities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when he jokes about Travis Kelsey or, or Taylor Swift. No, no, I'm 100% serious. I'm going to call 100%. Travis Kelsey. Be like, we know the shoe fairy, you know, Taylor Neasy. She's on stage for She's hours. Her, yeah. And, and we hours. Know, you know when we noticed this? And one example, one brand, F45 Gems, right? They were, in that period of time, they were, F45 was building their, their CrossFit functional training gyms, and they were using only influencers. Then they partnered with Mark Wahlberg, got rid of influencers. And back to the celebrity promoting products again. And now all the big name celebrities are back in, in the, the, the posting game. You know, Kevin Hart, Kim I, Kardashian. I don't know. From like a Interesting. You know, like mile high view, looking at it on like a macro scale, I think every advertising channel works at any given moment if your business is ready for it. Mm-hmm. I think F45 is an example where they weren't ready to monetize a guy like Mark until they were. Yeah. Right? And it just changes. So... <clears throat> are you seeing more tier one celebrity partnerships and, and opportunities now? Yeah, of yeah. course. But it's more because more of them are launching their own brands. Oh, that's and, and it's yeah. not necessarily because the brands are switching. But I don't know. Did you get the answer to your question? So being that you guys love disruption and disruption marketing, what would you say is your favorite form of disruptive marketing right now? I'll, I'll start... I don't know if I have a favorite. What I learned from doing these podcasts is that old school forms of, of marketing are, can be as disruptive as what we talk about in the digital age. And a great example of that is the Eat Clean Bro mm-hmm. and uh, the billboards. Yeah. Simple. Mm-hmm. He was all over New Jersey. It was a simple message, Eat Clean Bro on a white backdrop, blue letters. Everybody knows that marketing mm-hmm. and it branded his business and look where he is now. So I don't know if I have a, a specific type of marketing that, that I follow or that I think is disruptive. It's how you use it. You know, you can, it, it, it can go anywhere from marketing on billboards to you, you know, creating a, a unique and powerful impacting uh, ad on Facebook. Um, it's how you, how you develop that, that mm-hmm. marketing tool. I hope TikTok's ready for this one. <clears throat> Entrepreneurial audacity is my favorite version of disruption. So, I mean, every, you know, people claim they're entrepreneurs and people claim they're business owners and so on and so forth. There's a stark difference in what I think an entrepreneur is from everything else that's out there. An entrepreneur is someone who thinks and knows there's a better way to do something and then has the audacity to go out there and try and build a community around it. Mm-hmm. Man, I love that stuff, mm-hmm. right? So an entrepreneur having the audacity to go out there and be like, I have a better way. You had a better way to make a shoe mm-hmm. and look at what you've done in the past four or five years. I mean, mm-hmm. eight years. What, what, how, that's in a minute, girl. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when Flavor Guide came up, right, you got the big players like McCormick and you got the big players in, in you know, the other seasoning with Lowry's and so on and so forth. We just knew there was a better way to do it, to have seasoning blends and the team that was behind it went to market and I mean I'm not gonna lie I'm sure McCormick was was upset I'm sure there were board meetings where they were like what did Flavor God do this week mm-hmm. what can we study from them and I mean that's the that's probably the best compliment I remember going to international disruption um, sorry international distributor meetings and they would literally have meetings about what shreds did that week mm-hmm. and how they could copy it and that was the best compliment mm-hmm. I have one last question it's a two-parter what do you guys think of PR companies and what do you think about Instagram and Facebook ads? Great question. Is that, is that even like, she's just like, tell us what you think <laughs> about Mark Zuckerberg's whole system. <laughs> and then like, what do you think about like the media? So, um, uh, well, it's two different forms of working. Like, let's say I hired, I'm asking because I just stopped working with PR company. And in the past, I worked with at, um, advertising agencies for Instagram and Facebook ads. I don't any, I don't work with either of those companies anymore. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I was thinking, what do you guys think about working with a PR company and also working with an, inst- an um, a social advertising company? I think at the end of it all, it's about whether or not you have a defined finish line. 
So let's say you wanted to move 10,000 books because you're doing a book launch. A PR company is going to position you in a way where that's going to get guaranteed. Right. On the same note, if you wanted to move 10,000 shoes, an ad company uh, that does Meta or does TikTok or does Google or whichever platform they're going to use, they should be able to reverse roadmap you. Hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, we can guarantee that you're going to get to your finish line. Are there costs associated with everything? Of course. Right. But there are so many business owners that don't know what their finish line is or they're just like, move the needle. That's a great way to look at it. So, I mean, for me, I have aspirations of having my own TV show. I have aspirations of helping other people launch TV shows. So, I mean, we just hired a publicist and I love my publicist. Her name is Jordan Paulson and she's amazing. But I had to be ready for that and I had to define my finish lines for her, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I want to be the Gordon Ramsay of branding, Mm -hmm. right? And... There was a finish line because it was quantifiable, measurable, and there's mm-hmm. actually a way to roadmap that out. Mm-hmm. So my PR person knows that my desire is to be on X number of podcasts, mm-hmm. X number of print media, X number of you know panels and podcasts, like everything. Mm-hmm. Not enough business owners know what that finish line is. I didn't. Yeah. And there you go. But you probably could do it now that someone told you, like, hey, if you go to these agencies whether it's media buying, whether it's direct you know, outreach, whether it's email marketing, SMS marketing. Hell, I mean, Jamie is proof that everything still works. Billboards still work if you know what you're doing yep. and you have a finish line figured out. You have to be able to quantify it to also set those measures. Otherwise, you end up disappointed like I did because you don't know yeah. what it's, n- it's not defined. You're throwing good money after bad. And then you also run into bad publicists, right? Because mm-hmm. you have publicists that promise the world and don't deliver anything. Mm-hmm. anything and we, we've experienced that as well mm-hmm. um we'll give you the contact or uh for our publicist maybe there's an opportunity there don't steal my publicist she's busy I'm, uh, we'll find you someone else loaning loaning, loaning <laughs> okay, fine. we'll share jordan uh okay well i mean if that was your last question i guess i have one more question for you what is your favorite form of disruption Creating a really good product. I think that Mm. you can't, all the marketing in the world, all the strategy, everything isn't going to mean anything if your product sucks. And it just needs, you got to have a good quality product that is, people are going to love and then they're going to sell it for you. Yeah. All right. So how does our audience find you on social media? How do they join your community? Give uh, give out all the links. Um, At the shoe fairy underscore hate the underscore is uh the instagram my personal is at alexis stimp and just from my personal alexis stimp you can find all the bio everything is in my bio pretty much just make it easy nice well thanks for thanks for coming on the show uh you've been an awesome guest and like i said i respect your hustle like definitely respect the hustle love the journey been there from the beginning watching you so i'm proud of you happy for you congrats on everything thank you guys Um, and thanks for making the trip of course thank you guys so much